Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast, where we do our best job covering college quarterbacks as a whole, but specifically our focus is on the group of five QBs, and it's a really exciting time of the year because we are in the midst of college football all-star games. We've got the, the Senior Bowl. It's on the horizon this week. You have the NFLPA and the East-West Shrine game going on, so there are a lot of G5 quarterbacks who are you know, doing their best to kind of raise their draft stock and, you know, show out to really kind of show the things that the uh, the national audience didn't get a chance to see. But those of us who pay attention to G5 football have known all along about them. And uh, it's a fun time. So, uh, as always, I am Eric Henry from SB Nation, the FIU beat writer for Underdog Dynasty. And we've got my man Steve Hamner on the line. Steve, how's it going? And all, all good here, Eric. And uh, you're right, it, it's an exciting time for the – these players that get to kind of showcase their abilities in, in front of these coaches. And, you know, especially with us being interested in the quarterback play, it's fun and exciting seeing these guys getting some more recognition and uh, getting noticed more than they have in the past. And hopefully some people tune in. So I, I know you've been at the practices for the Shrine Bowl the uh, past few days. How's, how's that been? It's been amazing, man. You know, one of the things that I really love about this time of year, especially the lower and, and actually, I don't I don't want to imply lower as if, you know, the senior bowl is is kind of, you know, the be all end all. Because, as you know, at the NFL, if you have talent, you can be found at any level. It doesn't matter what it is. But, you know, the senior bowl is, quote unquote, the premier college football all star game. And then, you know, you work your way down from the East West Shrine game and the NFL PA and the CGS and things of that nature, Tropical Bowl, Hula Bowl, et cetera. But the thing I love about those all-star games is the fact that there's an unprecedented level of access. You know, I mean, how many times can you just, you know, as whether it's just as a fan, you want to come in and it, the games are open to the public, whether it's practice and games, and you can be, you know, 10 feet away from a John Gruden or Mike Mayock or Mike Tomlin or, you know, Brian Flores, things like that. You know, I mean, myself as a reporter, you know, sometimes I may get a chance to see those guys intricately and, and you know, kind of rub shoulders with them. But just as a fan, if you want to get out there and just check out some football, it's unprecedented access. And then being down there on the field, you know, you get a chance to really see the demeanor of these quarterbacks and see things like whether it's, you know, arm strength and, and things that you can't tell in the press box, you know, things that you can't tell watching the game on TV. You really get a chance to see how live their arms are and things of that nature. So, uh, it's it's been an enjoyable week, and it's one that you know I'd say as a fan, if you have a chance, if there's a college football all star game nearby in your area, get out there and go watch a practice because it's a great way to see you know the really the stars of the future. They will be out there. And speaking of the stars of the future, while the all star games are reserved for guys who are going to be entering this year's draft, we've got plenty of G5 talent coming back. As again, I know Steve, you got plenty of thoughts on our returners, and what we decided to dedicate today's episode to. Our, our top five G5 quarterbacks with the most to gain. So really quick, you know, I'm going to let you kind of take it away from here, but I, I just want to kind of give a definition of what we mean by that. So we don't mean that, you know, this quarterback has, has had uh, a bad year or, or, you know, by any means, you know, struggling. We just saw five quarterbacks and we think, you know, um, they have the most to gain in terms of, you know, maybe pro potential or maybe, you know, taking that next step and, and being a, an all-conference type quarterback. So, uh, Steve, that's pretty much the way you'd summarize this uh, top five list. Yeah, of course. Yeah, when we were making this list together, you know, we, we had, you know, probably like eight to ten guys we were kind of uh, trying to process through. But these five guys stuck out uh, due to the fact that they showed something really well this season or two seasons ago. 
and for whatever reason it hasn't you know come to complete fruition uh, or whatever it may be uh, but all these guys are studs and have have potential but uh, you know a, another year being in an offseason program can really help these guys take the next step to the next level uh, and kind of build upon the the success that most of these guys have, have already had so it's a it's a good time for them and, and they have you know several months to get better uh, whether it's technique wise watching film bigger stronger or just you know in adapting to the college environment and college lifestyle to begin with and it's also a lower stress time than you know in the season so it's a good time for them to take a step back and at the same time work on their craft and, and work on ways to get better absolutely so the first quarterback we're going to touch on is arguably the top quarterback in Conference USA. He's a guy who probably shares that mantle with, you know, Chris Robinson, and then you have the Astro Harris, who are right there in kind of that upper echelon of Conference USA quarterbacks. But uh, this guy for the past two years has been the standard as far as completion percentage. He's been a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't want to say controversy, but he's been in two different offenses, and the thing with this year – under offensive coordinator Buster Faulkner, they took more chances downfield, um, but this completion percentage still was relatively high. And, uh, you know, no further ado, we're talking about Jack Abraham of Southern Miss. Uh, quick stats, once again, talking about his completion percentage, 2018, he completed 63% of his balls, but only threw for 2,300 yards. You know, he wasn't the full-time starter. He, uh, there was kind of some, uh, I don't want to say hesitancy on Jay Hobson's part, but you didn't necessarily know from game to game whether he was going to take, you know, every single snap or whether it's going to be a quarterback rotation. But entering 2019, he was clearly the guy and completed 67.9% of his passes for 3,500 yards, 19 touchdowns, 15 receptions, and six TDs on the ground. And that's where I talk about the chance with Buster Faulkner. He had more of a chance to push the ball down the field. But, Steve, just your initial thoughts on Abraham before we get a look, take a look on what you saw in him his, on Take a look at what you saw in him on film, excuse me, and the offseason goals. Uh, just quick thoughts on Jack Abraham to, to open it up. Yeah, real, real quickly, I thought it was interesting because he, like you said, uh, 2018, his completion percentage was right about was right over 73, and then 2019 down to, to 68. So from the naked eye, it might look like, oh, wow, maybe he isn't as accurate as we thought. But in reality, he threw for, for over 100 more attempts, uh, which, like you said, is a product of the new offensive coordinator and the new scheme that comes into place. Uh, the, the the one thing that is, was concerning was the increase in interceptions. From it went from ten to twenty in twenty eighteen uh, to nineteen. I mean, I'm sorry, to fifteen uh, interceptions in twenty nineteen. However, eight of those interceptions came in two games, and so he had four interceptions against Louisiana Tech and four interceptions against FAU, who were arguably probably the two best teams in conference USA. Of course, FAU won it, but La Tech was arguably the second best team in conference USA. So if you eliminate those two games, his interceptions are, are down to seven and that TD to inter interception ratio looks much better. Uh, but so that was just an interesting, interesting kind of tidbit that his picks or the majority of his picks came against the two best teams in, in, uh, in conference USA. So um, that's just kind of something to remember whenever you just briefly look at the stats. But a guy who, like you said, could possibly be the best quarterback in, in the conference next year. So with those, you know, kind of initial thoughts out there, uh, just take us inside, Steve. You know, when, when, you, when you look at the film and you break down Jack Abraham, you know, you probably had a chance to see more of him than I have just because covering FIU and covering the entire league, my time is spread around, you know, the entire 
uh, uh, landscape of Conference USA quarterbacks. But one of the things I think I've seen from Jack Abraham in 2018 and 2019, just in specificity, is, you know, the yards per attempt. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I want to say there's at least a two-yard per attempt, which is massive in terms of his average yard per attempt. That's the fact that he pushed the ball downfield a lot this year. So just what do you see in terms of his 2019 film? And, and I think, you know, the uh, the as I'm looking at your notes here, uh, taking more risks and taking shots downfield is actually one of your initial notes. But on film, what do you see at Jack Abraham 2019? No, in right off the bat, you, you, you hit the nail. Uh, you, you hit the nail with the, with the hammer there that more of his passes, the, the scheme uh, offensively was to push the ball downfield but they set that up through, they had a lot of crossing routes, a lot of shallow routes. And so you would have a, a high, like a high, low crossing concept, meaning we have two receivers running deep routes. One is running towards the middle. One is going to be running towards the, towards the sideline or the boundary. But you also have a shallow route running maybe a five-yard dig or, or six to seven-yard crossing route. Uh, and so they would look for those deep shots and knowing that the – the lower the lower concept route is going to take up the defense, and so they were trying to, sh- to shoot the ball deep way more often than they did in 2018. It was 2018 was 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 more conservative play calling. Uh, 2019, they definitely took shots and, and and pushed the ball downfield, and and he was still accurate, right under 68 percent. And they threw I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they threw over 100 times more uh, this year than last year, and and he was still close to 70 percent, which is impressive. Uh, one thing that did jump out was uh, his his reliance on the superior athletes that that he has, which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. It's a good thing, you know, when when, uh, when Watkins can go up and make a play and and then take it the the length of the field. It's a bad thing whenever he's falling off his back foot and just throws it up and and, and puts too much trust in him, so to speak. And that's what kind of happened against the better teams, like we spoke about previously, Louisiana Tech and FAU. Um, so he tends to get in trouble when, whenever he relies too much on his athletes and, and he'll let the ball float a little bit, uh, which can look like his arm strength isn't necessarily strong, but uh, he does have a good enough arm and, and it's, it's evident whenever he stands in the pocket and his mechanics are on point, he steps into his throw and he really, really lets it spin. If you go back and watch the film, like most quarterbacks, when, whenever the mechanics are on point, he looks solid whenever he kind of is, is has faulty mechanics or, or is falling off his back foot. Like we mentioned, then the ball just looks different. It gives the defenders a better chance to make a play on the ball. So Steve, you know, it's funny you made a, a mention in terms of athletes. So that's just one of the things from my vantage point as, you know, a, a journalist and a reporter that I know it's about Southern Miss and specificity is you talked about the fact they took more chances downfield and you talked about some of the route concepts, which, for those of you not familiar with Southern Miss football, they've had arguably the top receiver in Conference USA for the past two years in Quez Watkins, who he had some off-the-field issues in terms of um, academic issues that cost him a couple games this year, and um, he got up to a bit of a slow start last year. But he's a guy who, whenever he touches the ball, is just one of the most dynamic playmakers. But that leads me to a point, I think it's one of your off-season goals as well, is to see what he can do without Quez Watkins. But the question I have for you before you dive into your off-season goals is, and this isn't to denigrate Conference USA in any form or fashion, but when you get to the lower levels of, quote-unquote, lower levels of, of college football, one of the things you'll notice is that defense and specificity is an issue. You'll get a lot of gaudy numbers on offense, but defensively, 
teams, you know, really struggle, especially when you have superior athletes. So my question is this. With Southern Miss playing in Conference USA West, which has teams like UTSA, UTEP, Rice, um, uh, North Texas. Now, Rice has a solid defense. Uh, UTSA, not so much. UTEP definitely struggled defensively. Um, and North Texas actually had to fire the defensive coordinator, Troy Reffitt, and the fact that they struggled mightily against the pass. So I promise you there's a question here. The question is, it's not necessarily how much of his stats are a byproduct of the fact that he played against maybe some defenses that weren't as good, but in specificity to the athletes, how much of it is just, all right, I can look out there, I've got Quez Watkins, Jalen Adams, and, uh, and Tim Jones, and those guys I know, just they can win their one-on-one matchups. How much of that is, is something that you see on film? And with Quez Watkins not being there, now taking his game to the NFL, how much of that do you worry about uh, maybe affecting his play in 2020? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, and even, even you know, in, in any conference or, or, or any level of football, you want to find your best matchup. And so game in and game out, it was um, whoever was guarding, guarding Watkins, for the most part, it was a mismatch and Watkins was your best option. So they're looking for ways to get Watkins the ball. And so with him, you know, leaving early to the NFL, uh, one, one of, I think, the main offensive goals for Jack Abraham as he continues to develop is to build uh, a relationship and, and a familiarity with the other receivers because they're losing sev- several other uh, senior uh, wideouts. Uh, with that said, though, they do return Tim Jones, who's probably going to be the go-to guy. He's a good athlete as well. and They have some younger, good wide receivers, but you want to develop them um, and, and create ways that are beneficial to the Jack Abraham and the offense. And you're, you're right about the defense being probably a little weaker in, in that side of the division. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, his his two roughest games were against the two – probably the two top defenses in Conference USA are two other top defenses with, with La Tech and FAU. Um, so I, I think the, the big thing for him is to develop uh, a rapport and develop uh, familiarity with the wide receivers and not just with them, but with the offensive scheme in general, this is be, you know, his second year with this offensive coordinator and he's going to, he's going to know the scheme better. And not only that, but he's going to know what defenses work against what place. So I, I think for Abraham, the big things moving forward, developing uh, those wide receivers, being more comfortable in the offense, and eliminating the turnovers. And he could probably – he honestly is one of the best quarterbacks in conference USA. But if he takes that next step, almost the, te- the step Jamar Smith took this year, and if he can eliminate the turnovers, he could you know be the, a first-team all-conference guy this year. One last quick thing before we go to our next quarterback. Steve, uh, how much do you think – and I'm spitballing here, how much do you think the presence of a legit running game would help that offense and maybe in turn help Abraham? It's one of the things that the past two years, they've, uh, you know, Jay Hopson, they've kind of run the ball just out of necessity, just to kind of keep the defense honest. They don't have that, you know, even if you look at, for example, FAU and Chris Robinson, if you look at Malcolm Davidson and Larry McCam and the guys like that, um, they have a legit running threat, whereas at Southern Miss, and this isn't to say the running backs aren't talented. They just, it's more of less just let's run the ball because we, you know, probably should, as opposed to having a legit rushing threat. Um, do you think if that emerges next year, that could help as well? A hundred percent. Cause that, that's just another, you know, uh, tool on the tool belt, if you will, that they can use. And 
you know, if they view the running game as something to set up the passing game, uh, like, like most offensive coordinators do, that's one thing. But I think if they can view the running game as something they can rely on and something they can turn to, that's only going to help the passing game even more, whether that's putting more people in the box, bringing up a, a safety, uh, whatever it may be. Now, now the defense has other uh, plays and, and, and other players they have to uh, account for and, and have to prepare for. So yeah, 100% if they can get that running game going, they could be deadly next year in offense, especially with the receivers that they have and the young guys that are going to be developing. Okay, so we're going to keep it in Conference USA here. and We're not going to spend too much time on this guy because we'll talk about him throughout the offseason and we've also talked about him on previous podcasts, but that's Marshall's Isaiah Green. And, you know, the, the quick stats on him are things that you've heard us probably harp on on this podcast a lot. You know, completion percentage is really – just to be frank, it's been subpar, you know, definitely not the level that you want out of a college quarterback and, and probably not one that, that is going to be uh, most efficient going forward, especially for Doc Holland and their offense is below 60% both years. Uh, TD to interception ratio is pretty much about, you know, one and a half to one. Uh, but it's a guy who we thought, especially towards the end of this year, looks like he was regressing. Uh, Steve, just, you know, your quick uh, thoughts and maybe what you've seen on film as far as Marshall's Isaiah Green. Yeah, like you said, this is someone we've talked about, and someone me and you both uh, we both agree on that has the talent and has the necessary skills. It just needs to uh, be articulated in a way that you know transfers to more success in the field. So, for example, like this year alone, he had four games with under with forty five percent complete with a forty five completion percentage or lower, and three games with under hundred yards passing, and those numbers. In, a, in an offense like Marshall are not acceptable. Those numbers are only acceptable if you're running like the, the wishbone or, or, or the triple option. Um, and how much is that, how much is that on him and how much is that on offensive scheme and, and play calling? And only the, only the, the coaches and players know that, uh, but, but he does need to work on just consistency in general. And it, it's, it's weird because he, he's so talented, but at the same time, if you go through, film and, and you go through just you look at the box scores there's not one game where he just you know when I think his best game this year is against Ohio they won 33-31 he had a touchdown towards the end of the end of the game to to win he looked great in that game but it wasn't like a wow type game some of these other quarterbacks have had like wow type games like Jack Abraham had four touchdowns against Troy and against I think North Texas and threw for over 400 yards as with with Green it was just kind of like mediocre play and then bad game mediocre play bad game but he would have great great um plays within those games but it, it didn't translate to a full uh, a full game uh, a, a full game that he would want a full game that would you know help marshall uh, win the conference and with that even with the, the the play being you know subpar to average they were still in a position to make a run at the conference uh, championship so I think a, this is the third year, his junior year. It's kind of like his, his make or break year. He needs to take a big step forward. And if he takes a step forward, Marshall is going to be a contender in Conference USA. If he does not, then, you know, they'll, they'll be kind of scratching their heads and probably figuring out what to do at quarterback. So I think this is a big offseason for him just to show in spring, to show in any offseason workouts that he is taking the next step. He is getting better. His mechanics aren't, aren't faltering. And, and he's he's building a good relationship and, and, and building a good rapport with his receivers. Um, so big year for him. I hope he takes the next step. I know you like him a lot, Eric. I like him too. 
and so if, if he takes that next step, then then Marshall could you know improve uh, greatly on offense. So really quick observation just from my end, something that I think is unique with Isaiah Green in terms of the other quarterbacks on this list or other G5 quarterbacks in general may not have this situation as this. If you look at his first year starting in 2018, Marshall, you know, for better or worse, they're always going to be right there. And I guess I shouldn't say worse. You know, for better, they're always going to be right there in Conference USA. They're always going to be a team that has a ton of talent and has an opportunity, if not to compete for Conference USA East, to compete for the CUSA title. And because of that, and I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on this, Steve, as a redshirt freshman in 2018, the expectation of Green may have been just don't lose it for us. You know, we're not going to ask you to do too much. Just don't lose it for us. And in 2019, the same thing. They returned a ton of guys. You know, they were expected, uh, they were picked by the media uh, to, actually they were picked by the media to win Conference USA East, so they were right there at, at the, at the you know, top of the class. And they had a, a running back in Brendan Knox who emerged to be not only the, you know, statistically the best rusher in Conference USA, but Conference USA's overall most valuable player of the year, which is the award that he won. And because of that, I'm wondering how much of that inadvertently hamstrings Isaiah Green, because with other quarterbacks, when you see that potential, it's like, okay, we want to unleash them. You know, we want to just let, just let it, have them let it fly. Whereas with Green, it's almost as much as, hey, you're talented, but we've got so many talented guys around you, and this team has such great potential that it's like – is there any part of you, Steve, that feels that he's a little bit, you know, restrained and, and that may play an issue in terms of his, his lack of development? Right. No, that, that's a good point. I, I didn't really even think about that until you just brought it up because, you, you know, they, it's, it's like, you know, they potentially could be trying to, you know, fit a, a square and a, and a whole circle. You know what I mean? That they could be trying to keep him kind of boxed in because, like you said, they are so talented but it has shown the past two years that they need the quarterback to put up big numbers. Like the quarterbacks previously uh, at Marshall have put up big numbers and several of them have gone on to the, to the NFL. So I think for Marshall to win conference or to do more, be more than just be predicted to win conference, they need the quarterback to do more than, than just play, you know, quote unquote conservative ball or whatever it may be. Cause when you play conservative ball, as we see by, by the stats, that's when lack of big plays happen and that's when turnovers can happen. So I, I think that's a good point that I haven't really even thought of or, or considered. So the next guy we'll talk about is someone who I'm really intrigued by, and this is going to be our first foray, first foray, excuse me. Uh, you can tell I've been uh, working at, you know, the East West Shrine game, but in a long days, the past few days here. Uh, is Carson Strong from uh, from Nevada. Uh, he's a guy who, you know, just quick notes, and, and I'll let you expand on these, missed his entire senior year of high school. So just, you know, my journalistic sense all right there says, oh, man, a kid who, you know, redshirted and missed his entire, entire, excuse me, entire senior year. So that's just pretty unique right there. And then he has some struggles down the stretch. But clearly just in terms of size and, you know, the makeup of a quarterback, he has all the tools that you're looking for right there. So I'll let you take it away on Carson Strong. Yeah, it, and and I'm with you too. I didn't even know he missed his senior high school until we started, you know, prepping and, and doing more research about him. So his his basically his first live action of games was was this year, and so it was almost two years uh, until he played a real f- uh, football game. And 
you know, missing his entire senior year of high school. And I think he was actually a pretty big basketball uh, star too in, in high school. And uh, you know, a typical California high school quarterback also being a, a stud basketball player as well. And, and like you said, you know, he, he had a rough stretch uh, start. He had a four game stretch with zero touchdowns and six interceptions, which that was kind of the start to the middle of the year. Nevada was kind of just doing so, so, but then he finished strong with, uh, he finished the last five, five games strong, <clears throat> excuse me. He had eight touchdowns and one interception in Nevada. They went three and two in that, that five game stretch. Uh, the only two losses came in overtime and then came uh, against a, a really good Ohio team in their bowl game. But right off the bat, before we even get into the film, it, it kind of shows me his ability to grow, to progress and to improve over time. And, you know, I think part of those first four, five, six games, he was kind of shaking, dusting the the rust off. And then once he got comfortable, he found a a, a good rhythm and, and helped Nevada have, have a pretty good season. So just once again, you know, just kind of my quick thought here. Um, is he probably the most raw of, you know, the guys we'll talk about here, just in the sense that, and I'm curious, you know, as someone who played the quarterback position in high school, and, you know, like I said, you uh, spent a lot of your time working with, you know, uh, that position now. How, I, I guess my question would be, how behind the eight ball is he in the sense that when you say your first live action two years, I mean, that's a lot for a guy who's 18, 19 years old. Um how raw of a talent is he? And just, you know, could you probably attribute things to like the four game stretch where, you know, zero touchdowns, six interceptions. Could that just be a byproduct of, you know, he probably hasn't played as much football as a lot of these guys. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a hundred percent it. Cause as far as he's raw in a sense of he hasn't played. So the speed of the game, he was maybe behind a bit catching up on and reading actual defenses. But as far as, how he looks in the pocket and speaking from a, a mechanical point of view, he might be the most, the most um, out of this list, he might be the most, the, the quarterback with the most potential and that jumps out on film the most. So to answer your question, yes and no, he's raw with the experience factor and the speed of the game, but from just a quarterback position from just throwing the ball and from just moving the pocket, he doesn't look like he missed a beat from that point. Now, when it comes to reading reading de- defenses and breaking down coverage, I think that's where he improved the most over the season. And like you said, that's that was due to not playing in a, uh, in live games in a while and to just knocking the dust off. But but so to answer your question, yes and no. So offseason goals. What are some of the things you see with him that he definitely needs to do in order to take that next step and go forward? I, I think to to just continue to build off that strong last five games of the year and to to continue to get in the film room like we said early in the early in the year defenses looked to confuse him and then later in the year he was much better at reading the defenses and uh he he started taking what the defense gave him for the most part and does a good job keeping his eyes downfield so I think it's continuing to take that next step because mechanically he's great and you can tell he's a he's a quarterback from Cali just because you know there's a lot of private quarterback coaches out there, which, you know, maybe he, I'm sure he was with someone or he definitely had good coaching. It's evident, but I think he could be a very, very good quarterback down the road. I think he's going to be an NFL prospect. He's a pretty big guy. He's at six, four, maybe that two twenty ish two thirty ish range. If I can remember off the top of my head. So I, I think if he can continue to learn the offense extremely well, because this would be his technically third year in the system, learn the offense well, 
but translate that to the field and continue to get better reading coverages, which he did the last five games of the year, and continue to develop that rapport with the wide receiver group, which is something we probably should have touched on a few seconds ago whenever you you uh, you asked if if you know he was raw or not because that's something it's different throwing routes to receivers uh, against air and it's different throwing routes to receivers <clears throat> excuse me against coverages so so in college in the offseason what we would do is you know there were probably six or seven of us quarterbacks and and coaches can only be with us for a certain time for like an x amount of hours during the week I forget the exact amount of time but they would give us the the route tree to go run and they would go up in the press box just so they can watch us do it. And it was quote unquote optional, but we, we all know what that means. And so we would go out there and we would just run, we would throw the route tree to each other, but none of us would really run. We would stand in place, stand where the slant's going to end, stand where the post is going to end. And so he was probably used to doing that. Also throwing to, you know, they would bring receivers out there and, and they would, they would throw with them. So I'm assuming they were doing some of that, which is much different than, you know, press coverage or his own defense you have to read. Uh, so, so I think just another year of experience, he's only going to be a redshirt sophomore, is going to put Nevada in a really, really good place and could push him up to be a contender in the Mountain West. It's actually funny you mentioned that, you know, as far as kind of that almost like a skeleton drill that the uh, quarterbacks would run through. That's something we saw uh, during the East-West practices today where the quarterbacks would be out there, you know, just not even seven on seven, just, you know, you'd take the, the receivers and tight ends and they'd kind of, you know, go semi-go or, or half speed uh, in terms of the running the route and they just would stop where the route would end and ask the quarterback to hit them. So it's just funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly something that uh, they were doing with the quarterbacks today. Right. But uh, to keep it, you know, keep it moving here as far as the quarterbacks, Sean Chambers uh, is, is a guy who uh, another kind of a raw talent, redshirt freshman in 2019, uh, played in three in 2018. So he uh, was able to redshirt, take advantage of that four-game redshirt rule. Um, but quick thoughts on him. Uh, he's a guy who uh, self-admittedly, you know, once again, having covering or having covered and covering Conference USA football, I don't get a chance to watch too much football outside of, you know, the, the West Coast and or outside the East Coast, and to check out those West Coast conferences is always pretty interesting. So um, I have my thoughts on him that I just saw, you know, from doing my research, but I'm curious what your quick thoughts are before I, you know, kind of give you a little bit of banter here. Quick thoughts on Sean Chambers. Yeah, so Chambers is a guy, he's probably one of the best athletes in, in the Mountain West. They, they opened up against Missouri and had a good upset win at home this year, and he was a big reason why. He, and uh, along with being one of the best athletes, he can, he's got a strong arm, can make every throw possible. However, that hasn't translated to a lot of passing success yet. And I don't know if that's really a product. I don't know if, that, if that's due to him or the offensive scheme, just because, you know, Wyoming quarterbacks historically have had lower completion percentage. Even even Josh Allen, when he was there putting up big numbers, was, was like 56-ish range as far as completion percentage goes. <clears throat> so I think he needs to just take this, the next step in, in that fact, in that fact. Um, like, so the last year, he only, only two of the eight games he played, uh, and he completed, uh, his passes over 50%, <clears throat> excuse me, he had over 50 plus percent completion percentage. Uh, with that said though, he still managed 17 total touchdowns in eight games, 10 on the ground, only had three turnovers. So he does a good job taking care of the football, but he just needs to keep developing as a, as a passer and whether that's coaching or scheme, uh, that is only something the coaches know. And, uh, something else uh, about him. So we uh, we reached out to Cody Tucker from 7220 Sports, who does a great job covering Wyoming. You can find him 
on Twitter. It's at 7220sports, or you can go to the website 7220sports.com. And, and I just wanted to get his quick thoughts on, on Sean Chambers. And he said his most important question about him is, can he stay healthy and can he throw the ball with consistency? Um, he did mention, you know, Chambers has heard all that he, you know, can't throw with accuracy or he throws too hard. He takes too many, too many chances with his body. Uh, but he, uh, Cody Tucker did go on to say that it's a, a big thing that doesn't go unnoticed is he just win, wins games. He's played in 11 games and he's won nine of them. And he, he's got that it factor and has arguably the most important factor is his leadership. So someone close to the program like Cody Tucker, that, that's coming from him means a lot. So if, if Chambers can stay healthy, then I think he's going to be the guy and can lead Wyoming to a, a, a good solid year next year. So it's interesting because you kind of took the the note that I just saw and watching a little bit of him. You took a ride out of my mouth right there. So in terms of, you know, he reminded me of another Wyoming quarterback in Josh Allen, just in terms of, you know, being a solid athlete and, uh, you know, he definitely saw the things right, that, that kind of reminds me of another former Wyoming quarterback. But interestingly enough, they have a unique situation. I'm a huge believer in that. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, maybe that's the Butch Davis in me, you know, covering FIU um, because uh, he's been a big believer in, you know, we're not going to do the two quarterback thing. But they do have a second quarterback who will be competing for the job in Levi Williams. So just what are your quick thoughts on Levi Williams who was a freshman? In yeah, Levi, I think – right, yeah. And and, and uh, Levi is similar to Chambers. He's a big guy, probably 6'5"-ish, big arm, good athlete who can run. He's, he's uh, from Texas, I believe. And, you know, Eric, Texas, I was – produces those good quarterbacks but um he, he showed a big arm as well uh you're, you're you're not you're not but you're not biased with the Texas quarterbacks right right no not at all <laughs> but uh but uh yeah like Chambers big arm athletic accuracy was a question and so th- that's what makes me think you know if s- several quarterbacks struggle with accuracy in the sit maybe it's not the quarterbacks maybe it's the system and that's just pure speculation uh, but I did reach out to, you know, uh, going along with Cody Tucker from 7220 Sports. He had some good stuff to say about Levi as well, that he has the arm strength. He has the mentality and the toughness part of the game. The only thing this kid does not have is is experience. So he uh, Tucker thinks his future is very bright. And uh, he says, quote, unquote, Wyoming has two quarterbacks who are more than capable of leading this team to a big 2020 campaign. So regardless who ends up being the guy under center, uh, you know, it looks like they are in good hands. I tend to think it's Sean Chambers if he can stay healthy. Uh, and he, he, this is his second year getting, having a season ending knee injury. So that does give Levi Williams kind of the leg up in spring. Cause I don't know if Chambers is going to be back or not for the spring and the off season, but if Chambers can come back and is healthy, I would assume he's the guy and, and he'll have a chance to kind of grasp the, the offense and, and lead them in 2020. But like Tucker said, they got two good quarterbacks who are capable of leading this team, and it's going to be a big offseason for both these guys to develop and, and get better at their craft to uh, hopefully and potentially start under center. So the last guy we're going to touch on really quickly is a team that they are competing in what I think you and I both at university believe is, if not the best G5 conference, it's you know either top one or top two, and that's the American Conference, and it's Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. So, Jeff, you know, I'll let you take away with your quick thoughts, but really quick on as far as the stats, the major takeaway that you saw from him was a, a dip in completion percentage. And once again, how much of that, I, I don't want to just say, you know, completion percentage is all about 
the circumstance that you're in. But I do think, I'm a firm believer in the, that, what you may ask of your quarterback, if you have a team around you, that the, the success of your program isn't necessarily spearheaded by your quarterback, right? So, for example, um, a Southern Miss, Jack Abraham. You know there's a great team around him, but you know Jack Abraham is the guy. Uh, FAU, Chris Robinson. Uh, FAU has a lot of talent around him, but you know, especially when you play for Lane Kiffin, that everything's going to be driven through the quarterback. There's a difference between that and then maybe other circumstances where there's enough talent around you and everything is driven through the quarterback where, for lack of a better phrase, there's enough talent to win in spite of quarterback play as in, opposed to because of it. That may play a factor in, in necessarily a, a, a fluctuation in numbers. But um, his completion percentage was what it was. It was 62% in 2018, 65% in 2019. So with that being said, Steve, Quick thoughts, uh, you know, I'll let you take it away as far as Desmond Ritter. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's a good point because, you know, they you, you have probably watched Cincinnati pretty often, you know, keeping up with the AAC and, and you being a UCF guy, you, you've seen them play several times the past few years. and They've had a great team. They won 11 games in 2018 and in 2019, I believe. And uh, Desmond Ritter is a guy who has all the talent he needs, but for whatever reason just, just regressed and didn't have the year – that people are hoping he was going to have his uh, his interceptions almost doubled. They went from five in 2018 to to nine, and he threw for almost 300 yards less in 2019, but had more attempts in 2019. Even though he had less completions in 2019 than he had in 2018, so like you said, it's not a you don't just look at stats and assume, but those are big drop offs. And, and then from, from watching the film and, and, and why he, uh, those drop-offs happened, I, I saw a lot of second-guessing and, and decisiveness. And, you know, a quarterback is, is similar to a golfer or or hitter. It's it's a big mental thing. So if you're not feeling it and, and you're not 100% confident and you are out of groove, so to speak, you're going to be second-guessing a lot. And whenever he is second-guessing, his throws are, are off target. They lead to interceptions. He'll be double clutching, which gives the defensive back and the defenders a uh, time to to jump the route or to make the play. So, even though he didn't take the step forward his sophomore year, like many people are hoping, the positives are Cincinnati still won 11 despite him not taking a good step. He's a very good athlete who still had over 600 yards rushing, which was huge, and, and five rushing touchdowns. And when he is mechanically sound and when he steps in the pocket and is confident and decisive he looks sharp he can spin it he's got a strong arm and so it's almost like a dr jekyll mr hyde or what i don't know if i said that right or not but it's almost like two different quarterbacks at times so he'll, he'll have a really good play where he'll step up in the pocket and just spin it and he'll have a play where he double clutches throws it up and boom interception uh with that said though he obviously wins, you know, he, he contributes a lot to the wins. And I think he just needs to make the adjustments and, and grow this, this off season. And, and like we, we had some good input on the Wyoming quarterbacks. We actually, we also reached out to, to Mike Schneid or, or Schneider. I hope I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, uh, Mike on, on the pronunciation of your, of your last name. So I'm sorry that we're butchering it, but he is the, he, uh, has content over at down the drive, which is a, an SB nation, site for uh cincinnati so if you're interested in any cincinnati football stuff check out at down the drive on on twitter and he also has his own uh, website and, and sports uh content you can check out but schneid said that his biggest strength is his ability to to run the ball and he has excellent vision when he runs and 
He, he also mentioned a, a reason why he might have struggled this year. He got injured week two and never really played 100% all year. So that could have played a role. And, and uh, Mike also kind of reiterated kind of what we saw in film and put down that, you know, he, he struggled with decision-making at time and held on, held on to the ball too long. But with that said, uh, Mike's quotes are, I personally still believe in Ritter and think at full health after another year of experience, he's the guy to lead Cincy to an, an NY6, a New Year's Six bowl game. He's a leader who garners respect from his peers. So, Eric, as, as guys of us who, who both played in college, even though we weren't very successful, uh, we, we know how big of a deal it is to have a guy who you look up to and who you respect. So even though his year wasn't what we wanted in, in, in uh, 2019, it still seems he has the, the confidence of his teammates and his peers who that alone can help give him confidence this offseason to, to grow and, and develop. But I'm interested to see kind of what, what you thought about him real quick uh, since you saw him play several times. Yeah, just my quick overall thought, and I, I won't go too long because we going to get ready to wrap this up in a second, but just my quick thought with Desmond Ritter is kind of what I touched on off, off the top and that you know Cincinnati is such a good team, and you know maybe not from a passing perspective, but from a dual threat perspective. Some of the things you may ask your quarterback to do, you may ask your quarterback, for example, right, I want to put this into a way that our listeners understand. Um, it, it, you may say, hey, all right, we know we can win this game. So we're going to take some of the pressure, some of the emphasis off of necessarily throwing the football because it's just high risk, high reward, and say, hey, uh, you may call as a play caller more plays for your quarterback uh, as a runner, or you may call more RPOs, or you may call more things that, yeah, it, it's a one read and then tuck it and go. And I think those are things that, you know, and I'm not saying it's, it's absolutely the case, but it could be something when you just see the drop in completion percentage and drop in passing yards, my first instinctual thought as a reporter is uh, when you see that type of team around him, maybe they're asking less of him as a passer because they know he's a, a dual threat and B the team has so much potential around him. So that's just kind of my quick thought, but I'll be curious to see what they do with him in 2020 if they decide, Hey, um, we want to unleash him a little bit more and, and do different things. And uh, I, before we go ahead and, and, and close this one up, just what are some of your quick offseason goals? Yeah, I, th I think this is the main the main goals for him is I think it's more mental than anything because he has the talent. You've got the talent. Let it rip. Don't overthink it. You know what I mean? So I think his, his biggest thing is don't overthink it. Just go be a quarterback. So uh, simple, but sometimes simple is the, is the best thing to do. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. You can, once again, as always, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Please, all and any feedback is welcome. You know, we're doing this for you guys. We just want to put out the best content in terms of covering these G5 quarterbacks. And I think we have, you know, one of the best uh, out there, and in my opinion, Steve Hamner to do it. So, Steve, once again, thank you for the time. You can find him. You can find him at tbspotlight.com. You can always find us at Twitter on, uh, you can find me on Twitter, excuse me, at Eric C. Henry underscore. And you can find Steve as well at Stephen Hamner. At last name is H-A-M-N-E-R. So I know I got a couple of questions about that. They go, think it's Steve Hammer. It's Stephen Hamner. You can also find him on Twitter there. And once again, at QB Spotlight on Twitter. Thank you for listening. And, you know, we'll be back next week. Spotlight those G5 quarterbacks.